If you don't have a Bible, don't feel weird about this, but please raise your hand. We want to give you a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, this is for yours to keep. You can own this, keep it, give it away, whatever you want. If you don't have one today and just want to follow along, get your hand up, get a Bible, and follow along. Let's turn to Acts chapter 12. Now, if you haven't been with us at all, the book of Acts, quick, 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 quick recap. Acts is the story of the early church, right? So we have Jesus Christ who raises from the dead, ascends to heaven, and his parting words for the church is, hey, go tell people what happened here, right? Like, go tell them about what I've done, who I am, and what this means, not just for you, but for the world. And so he sends them out to the world to preach what we call the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And we've saw continuously through the book of Acts, it's working, right? Like the people that are responding, the church is forming and now preaching the gospel to the world and people are coming in droves to become Christians. Now, last week we saw the introduction of that term for the very first time. And so Anthony was up here and I thought did a phenomenal job breaking down what it meant for us to be called Christians, what it meant for the early church, what it means for us now. Now, I think if we're honest with ourselves, if you're here and you're a Christian, at times that label can be difficult to swallow in our culture, given some of the baggage that's attached to that word for so many who are outside of the church. And we acknowledge that. But we also acknowledge the reality that nothing can be redeemed if it's ignored. And so we think if you're here and you consider yourself a Christian, like be a Christian, like own being a Christian, but then actually be a Christian. You know what I'm saying? So, so be a Christian, wear the label, right? have the name tag, but then actually live the way Jesus lived because that's what Christian means. As we learned last week, it means essentially the Christ group, right? Like the Christ group. So when the outside world was saying, hey, there's this kind of random group of people and they're all doing these things, they said, well, what are we going to call them? The term they finally landed on was Christian, was Christ group. And here's something that I thought about this week that I thought, this is just somewhat interesting. Now, for the most part, the early church, the apostles, before, before Jesus ascends to heaven, these guys followed Jesus around and emulated what he did, listened to what he taught, and then tried to kind of imply, or apply it to their lives, right? Um, now, here's what I find interesting, is that when they were looking for a title for this group, they chose Christian, right? Uh, they, they didn't choose Jesusian. And, and here's what I mean by that. that does, not only does that not sound as good, it's tougher to say, but Jesusian, I think, is a different thing. Now, Jesus Christ, if you don't know, maybe, and I'm not even joking, maybe you're newer to the church, Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name, right? Like his dad was not Joseph Christ. Jesus is his name. His title is Christ. Christ meaning the anointed one, the Messiah, the chosen one, the one set apart, the one that the entire history of the world has been waiting for the arrival of. And so what I was thinking about this week was how incredible that as this outside group who was not the church looked upon the church and they said, what are we going to call these people? They said, let's go with Christian. Like this people, they don't just affiliate with this guy named Jesus who walked around this earth and did some cool things. They align themselves with the creator, the founder, the author, and the perfecter of this world. The one whom has come to do everything. The king of all things. The king of kings, the lord of lords, Jesus Christ. They are Christians. I found this just really impactful. Because I think it says something about what they believed about who Jesus was. That it wasn't just he was this great rabbi. He wasn't just this great teacher who performed some great miracles. He was the Christ. And when the world looked upon this group, I think what they saw is they saw the power of the Christ in the work of what the church was doing. 
it wasn't that there was just a bunch of us getting together and doing what Jesus did. They were doing it underneath the lordship and the banner of a God who controls all things. Does that make sense? Christians was their title. Now, this means some things then for us today as well. I think what we can glean from the book of Acts is it is a narrative telling the story of the development of the early church and the mission to the world is we can sit back and glean and say, okay, what can we learn from this? And I think what we can learn from the early church is what did they actually believe about Jesus and how it impacted their lives? And specifically, we're going to look at one discipline, one thing that we see the early church doing that I think more than anything else, any other action in your life dictates what you believe about Jesus, and it's prayer. Right? It's this thing called prayer, which, which kind of just, we all kind of know it. Like if you're in the church, it's what we do during transitions, right? When we need to move stuff on the stage or whatever, it's like, well, I guess we should pray here so we can get stuff going, right? That, that is the way oftentimes prayer is treated in the church. Well, we got, we got to make a transition. The lights have to go down or up, so we don't want to do that when people's eyes are awake, so I guess we should pray. No, no, no. no prayer is going to be shown as, as far more significant than that. And I'll tell you what. I've been a Christian for 15 years now, and I have barely skimmed the surface of what I think my prayer life is supposed to look like. Like, I really believe, like, I've barely skimmed the surface, and I think it says a whole lot about what I believe about Jesus. It says a whole lot about what the early church and what about our church and the church in our nation today and across the world believes about the dependence and the need for God in their lives. Because what we've done is we've kind of separated these things, right? So we have prayer, and then we have this dependence on God thing. And I tell you what, we've separated them when they are inseparable and must be married together. If you are dependent on God, you pray. If you're dependent on yourself, you don't. It's that simple. I oftentimes find myself not entreating the Lord, not coming before him. And what that says, it's an indictment on what I believe about myself in light of what I believe about God. Well, I can, I can take care of this. I'm in control, and on and on, and we're going to explore these themes a little bit more today. So the question for us, I think, would be, how much and about what do you pray for? How much and about what do you pray for? And I want us, as we go through the text, to kind of allow that question to permeate in our hearts and marinate and convict and do what the Holy Spirit does. Now, some years back, uh, has anyone ever here, maybe some of you guys are really good at this, have ever done your own work on your own car? Have you ever done that? Okay, some of you guys, some of you are lying just to look cool. I get it. And so, uh, so a few years back, my buddy Nate and I, we had to fix the struts on my wife's Camry, okay? And so we're like, oh, yeah, we can do this. And so Nate kind of knew his way around cars, and we said, you know, we'll, we'll do this. And so we go, we get some of the parts we know you need, and we, we put it up on racks in my carport, and, uh, and then we start taking the tire off, and we take off the brake assembly, and there's your strut. And if you don't, I mean, if you haven't seen a strut, there's this giant coil on the top that's fastened down by this, this little lid, right? And it's attached by an enormous bolt because this thing is in serious tension. Now, what would have been smart for us is to say, you know what, we don't really know what we're doing, so we should probably ask for help, right? Or we should probably at least look on YouTube for how to do this, okay? At least a simple Google search, will we kill ourselves if, and just start inserting stuff, right? So we don't do that because we're macho men, and why would we ever ask for help in that situation? And so what we do is we're sitting in the carport, and we start unscrewing the top bolt, which is just really tight, right? And that makes sense. And, and so you undo it, and we're just like, yeah, no big deal. And off springs off the, the bolt, 
off springs off the cap, and this coil, which is in serious tension, flies through the air, and I kid you not, comes within a centimeter of taking off the entire front of Nate's face. Like, blows him back, puts like a whole dent in my carport. I mean, just like slams that sucker, and so we almost lost Nate, okay? And so here's what we do. What happens right after that? We say, we should watch YouTube, okay? (laughs) And so we go, and we look it up, and they're like, and literally like step four is, make sure before you take off this cap that you have the thing cinched down in tension beyond, otherwise you will die, okay? And so, um, now, now here's the illustration. Now that sounds, but that's the story that pops into my head because here was me and Nate thinking, we got this. Like, we, we kind of know our way around this thing. When, when the easiest solution was right there, which was just to say, hey, real quick, how do I do this? I, I, I need you to come in and do this. But instead, we decided to just lean on our own understanding and lean on our own gifts, which we didn't have many of, and one of us almost died. Now, now, believe me here, prayer is in a very similar facet. You and I think we have this thing under control, and I'm telling you, you don't, okay? Like, we just don't have it all that in control, and, and it looks that way for a bit, and I'm telling you, that's masked somewhat by the culture we live in, because it's, it's kind of easy to be a human being in, in America. Not, not, listen, and that is not true for everyone. There, there is significant realities to that not being true for all people. But, but more so than a lot of places, I think, especially in the Western church, we mask the fact that we are not that capable in of ourselves by the fact that just on the whole, things are easier for us. And so we don't realize that at the end of the day, we are 100% dependent on the will and the perfection of God, and yet we think it's us. And so we don't ask, we don't look up, we don't entreat. I would say that the most important thing that we should do, and if you take it back to this illustration again, is that what's the easiest thing to do when your car is broken is you take that sucker to a professional, right? Like when I'm fixing electrical stuff in my house, I'm calling Curtis, right? Because this is what he does, this Curtis, that Curtis. Like they do this stuff, right? I zap myself, okay? If I want to build something, I'm calling Randy. Randy, how do I build this? Right on. If I want to put out a fire, right, I'm calling Eric. I'm not gonna. I'm calling the fire department. But for some reason, we think that the biggest thing in the world, which is how we change culture, how we live our lives, how we change our own hearts, how we change the hearts of people, how we do marriage well, family well, etc., etc., etc. We think we got that. Listen, you are no professional. There is but one true professional over this world, and it's only God. And so, so why, when it's easier to hand it off the, now I understand the illustration falls through because you're like, well, we don't have unlimited, <laughs> like all that much money, right? Like, so we can't always pay the professional. Here's what I'm telling you. The professional that runs this world has offered his services for free, okay? He said, like, hey, you want me to help out? Great, I'm here. You just need to ask. Like, I, like it is at your disposal to talk to the creator of the universe who makes and does and sustains all things, and yet we are largely silent because we think we can do it better ourselves. Man, that's not okay, at least for me. And, and maybe all of you are sitting in the room, and that could be so. And you're like, well, you're a fool because I don't do that. Okay. I do that at least. And I consider myself from time to time to think I have a pretty active prayer life. But man, I'm reading this stuff, and I'm like, okay, this, this is next level. I, 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 what do I believe about Jesus? Is he the king over this universe? Does he orchestrate all things? And he is, the, is he the only true professional that runs all things?
Okay, so let's, uh, let's move to Acts chapter 12, and let's read. Verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and then he saw that it pleased the Jews. He proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of the unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending that after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So Herod, the king, is upping his persecution on the church. If you remember, just going back in our narrative a bit, just in the last few years, he's lost like his number one guy, right? So we know Saul is now, uh, once the, the greatest persecutor of the church, is now being persecuted himself because he has become a believer and a follower and a church planner for the sake of the Christians, right? So he's lost one of his main guys. I think he's real, and, and so he comes after the church with a renewed vigor to take it down. And what I find so interesting, you just see in this verse, like, like it just goes, oh, and James was killed. Now, this is a significant thing that only gets one line in the entire narrative of the book of Acts, but James wasn't nobody. Like, this is one of the apostles. This was probably a huge and significant hit for the early church. They just lost, right? One of the sons of thunder is now dead, and then they're going after Peter now, who's supposed to be the head of the whole church. Like, this thing seems in dire straits, and he gets arrested. And, and imagine that the, they're thinking, well, this, this isn't going to go well. They've already killed James. Surely they're going to kill Peter. So what is their first response? Like, what is the thing that they're like, okay, well, well this, this looks like it's going bad. How are we going to reinsert ourselves into this? And it wasn't to get around in a circle and game plan and strategize a prison break, right? It, it wasn't, well, hey, you know what? Let's call Learner and Row. It's the way to go. Call 9771900. Okay? That's a stupid joke. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't to call a lawyer. It wasn't to try and figure out their means with how they're going to figure this out. The people of God decided, you know what we better do? We better get down on our hands and knees and start talking to the Lord. Earnest prayer was given for Peter the minute he was taken away. Is that your first prayer? And, and mind is that our first proclivity to think to ourselves, that's not good, let's talk to the Lord? Or is it, well, let, let's, let's strategize. Let, let's get a huddle together, let's figure this out, let's, let's get some systems in place. Now, all that stuff is good, but I'm telling you, it is secondary to talking to the one who created all those things. Is that our first response? And then, and just a little nugget here, this word earnest, this word Earnest in the Greek is the word aphelamos, which I'm sure most of you knew, right? So uh, you're like, oh yeah, aphelamos. So aphelamos is used one other time in reference to prayer in all the Bible. One other time. So, so the church is doing something that is only referenced one other time in all of Scripture. And what do you think, what do you think that moment was? Anyone want to guess? Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right? And if we go back to that scene, Jesus, right? You just you imagine and can think through the anguish of the moments, right? Sweating blood, asking the Lord, may this cup, may what's about to happen pass for me. Can I do something else? Is there another way? But not my will, but your will be done. The pain, the anguish, and God answers that prayer, not even the way that he wanted it to be answered. But we'll come back to that in a moment. This is the type of prayer that Paul is saying the church, sorry, that Peter 
Nope, Paul, Paul, who wrote this? Never mind. Luke, right? Luke, Luke is saying, this is the type of prayer the church moved in. Their brother was taken away. They just lost James. We need to be on our hands and knees asking the Lord to intervene. Man, that's not me. Like, it's just not. But I think it should be. For a long time, I thought most of my Ah, most of the ways I just wasn't real strong in my prayer life was just because, well, that's just not my personality, right? Like, I'm a type A doer. Like, I just fix it. I get stuff done, you know? That is just bogus. The reason why I don't have as dependent and fervent and earnest a prayer life is because I don't think he's all that much stronger than me. I just think that whatever the trial may be, I will figure it out better than he would. Because if that's not true, then my first flinch should be to plead to the one who can fix it better than me. Dear professional, I need you to come in and fix this because I cannot. Well, that's not where I go. And I oftentimes see that's not where the church in today's culture goes either. And I wouldn't contend there is no greater move and necessary change for the church than for us to become a church of prayer, a people of prayer, a people of dependence. Because nothing is really going to go all that well if he's not the one orchestrating it. I guarantee it. Okay. So now we're going to move in and ask and figure out, will these prayers work? So they respond in prayer. Is it going to work? Is it going to actually happen? Let's see, verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands, and the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the, second, and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city, and it opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. Now, this narrative is, is just wild, right? And this is Luke, again, the author of the book of Acts, intentionally highlighting this is God's work. Like, this wasn't Peter craftily figuring out a way, right? This wasn't him MacGyvering his way out of this situation. This wasn't the church coming together, mission impossible, and saying, hey, we're going to figure out how to jailbreak Peter, right? This was God saying, all right, I heard you. Let me intervene. I'm getting my boy out. And so you got Peter laying shackled in a bed or probably on the floor, I don't know, between two soldiers. Now, uh, every night, Finley sneaks into our room. He's like two and a half, and that's what he loves, and so he'll fall asleep with us. And so like this morning, I'm getting up at 6 a.m., and, and, and my wife and Finley are right there, and I have to like wiggle my way out of the bed as to not wake someone. And sure enough, what happens? Finley. Watch a show? Right? That, that, that was his first one. Watch a show? I said, no, dude. Go back to bed. And we need to be better parents. So, and then he falls back asleep. But I can't even, like in the, in the most cushy situation, can't keep myself from getting out of a bed and not wake up the two people next to me. Right? This, this was not Peter and his slyness. This was God saying, I'm going to keep these two asleep. I'm going to break 
literally, I don't know what his shackles are made of, but I'm going to break that. That'll be fine. I'm going to send an angel. He's going to come in and say, hey, man, put some clothes on. It's time to go. And so I'm going to have Peter put some clothes on, walk past two guards who won't see him either. I blinded those guys. And they're going to walk up to the iron gate, and that thing's going to swing open. This was all God. We live, and I live in my prayer life, as if none of that's true. As if the way I functionally live this is, uh, Peter must have done this. That when I look back on my life and I see these testimonies of God's faithfulness in my life, I, I find a way to think, well, that was probably me. But I, I put myself in Peter's shoes and I reread the story to myself and say, well, I probably wrangled my hands out and I got up really slowly and, and I was able to just kind of slither past the guards and, and that gate thing, that was just a fluke and on and on and gone. And God is still at work today. We need to talk to him about it. Instead of just putting ourselves in the position of the hero. On and on and on, okay? And so th- this happens, and, and, and the prayers work, in essence, right? Like God, God showed up. God did his thing, so great way to go. And so let's see in verse 11 how the people respond to God answering the prayer. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name uh, was Mark, where, where many were gathered together and were praying. And they knocked at the door of the gateway, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she didn't open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now, this to me is somewhat comical, right? So Peter goes through this crazy situation where he gets out of prison. And he, my guess is, like, I, if that was me, I'm so stoked to tell everyone. Like, you wouldn't believe what just happened. And so I'm running. It'd take me a while to get there. But I would get there, and i get to the door so excited to tell my friends, hey, it worked. Thanks for praying. And they don't let him in. They're like, hey, it's me. It's Peter. Go away. Right? No, it's not. Right? Hey, no, it's, uh, seriously, it's Peter. It's Peter. I swear, he's out there. Ah, oh, it's probably an angel, which is just, wow. Like, just an angel. You know, like, no big deal. Leave the angel outside. Like, that's just, that angel's like, oh, I'm an angel, you know? Getting all insecure. He's just, oh, man, gee. Okay. Um, that was my angel voice. Okay, so, so Peter is knocking on the door, and, and they don't, they're like, no, man, it couldn't be Peter. In fact, it's probably Peter's angel because he's probably dead. I find, I find this so interesting. They, they do so well, right? Like, so Peter goes into prison, and they say, you know what we got to do? We got to pray. And so I, I picture the group getting down, hands and knees. I'm not going to do it. I'm sore, but, right, hands and knees, and they're praying. And then it actually works, and they're shocked by it. Like, God answering their prayer was like, really? No. 
Now, I, I found this just incredibly telling and indicting, not just of, of the early church, but just of my own heart of like, okay, man, I'll pray sometimes, but then when it works out, I'm like surprised. I'm like, oh my God, wait, you are the king of the universe that does all things and holds all things together? You are the king of the universe who can do anything at all times? You are all powerful? You are good? You are faithful? Why am I so shocked by the fact that God would intervene on, the, on behalf of his children? Like, oh, why, why am I so surprised that God answers prayers when since the beginning of time he's been doing that? This is very telling, again, about what does the early church believe and how they too are working through this reality of, man, this guy is the king of the world who can do all things. So do we believe that this morning? And it's telling because if you're surprised that every time he moves, listen, you just don't really believe that he's who he says he is. Okay? Like, like, if it's just like this is a shocker that he would show up, then you're missing who Jesus is because this should not surprise us when the Lord of the universe answers prayers, no matter how big they are. And so it asks the question of what are we praying for and do we expect him to show up? What are the things that we are asking and treating God for? Like, what are the things, what is your prayer life marked by? I, I, I know for some things, like, I'll often pray for the little things that I know I, I kind of can control so that I get, like, many wins. I'm like, oh, well, yeah. I mean, that was great. I kind of pray for these small things. Because praying for the big things is kind of scary. Praying for people to be released from prison by supernatural means, that's kind of crazy, right? But God answers those too. God shows up in ways we, listen, if you've ever, you're, listen, your own salvation, if you're here and you're a Christian, that wasn't you either, okay? And so God answers prayers. He changes hearts. He does the work. And so it shouldn't surprise us. What do you pray for and how big? Because you could, if you, listen, if he can save me and save you, he can do anything. Like if he could take something, the, the Bible says you, you were dead in your transgression and sin. Like dead. Dead people do nothing of anything, right? They're just dead. And yet he made you alive in Christ. If he can do and answer that prayer and that miracle, he can do anything. So pray like that. Do you believe he will pray and answer even what we would say are big prayers? I'll tell you this. What you don't pray about, you think you control. Okay? If you're like, nah, I'm good. You think you control it. That, and maybe not in that moment, like, I'll figure it out. But if he controls it, then you got to talk to him about it. So pray that way. Do we pray like this? It's telling again of what we believe about Jesus. Okay. Um, so here we go. Let's, let's wrap this up. Last little passage. And then we'll go. Now when the day came, there was, little, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries in order that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Okay? Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a god and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. So, so this, this narrative wraps up 
Okay, Herod, again, if you remember, going back to the beginning of the story, Herod is ramping up his persecution. Okay, so this is what we have. This is called an inclusio, where you have something on the front end and something on the back end with the interior, okay, trying to communicate what the whole passage is about. But we all know that ultimately what Luke is trying to communicate is an intentional juxtaposition between Jesus, the one true king of this world, and this guy Herod, a phony. Because it lands with them coming and saying, Herod tried to come in and live and act and be the king, to be revered and gloried as if he was God. And God, the true God of the world, strikes him down before the watching world to say, you have no idea who I am. I am the king of this world. And everything that we just talked about is just proof text of it. The story, that whole thing, it's like in the midst of the watching world that wants to persecute and say Christianity is false and wrong and detrimental, the reality is that God is exclaiming from the world, you have no idea who I am. I am the king, I am the Lord of this universe. I've created all things. Pay attention. Talk to me as if I'm that don't just say tacit, worshipful words to a, to a man who is not God. Prayer reveals what we believe in that juxtaposition. Far too often, we act like Herod. Okay? Like if we're honest, okay, if I'm honest with myself, I far too often act like I'm Herod. Look at what I've done. Look at my contribution. Look at my ministry. Look at this story, look at my life, look at my wealth, look at my et cetera, et cetera, okay? Whatever the things you want to prop up to say, well, look, look at my godness, look at my glory. And that is never what we're called to do. Instead, we herald, we worship, and we pray to God, to Jesus, to the king of the universe. Prayer is a telling reality of what's behind the whole thing. What I love in this juxtaposition is you have Herod, who we see kills his sentries, right? So a bad king kills his people when they disobey. Our good king killed himself that his people would live. Okay. A bad king lives for his glory. A good king laid down his glory that the people that hated him would be raised up. This is the guy, this is the God that you and I can talk to. And he's listening, and he's like, would you just think and pray and ask, seek. I want to do immeasurably more in your heart and in the lives of people you know and in this world, in our city, than you could ever fathom, but yet you remain silent. Church, wake up, let's start talking to God. Otherwise, we just think we're running this thing, and we are not running this thing. We cannot. Mm. I don't want you to leave here thinking, you know what we need to do? We need to just, like, start scheduling in prayer right into your calendar, right? Like, I don't want you to leave here and say, like, I better pray more, okay? Now, I want that to be the response of you truly asking yourselves what you believe about God. 
Because because if you if you walk out of here and you're just like, you know what, I'm just gonna I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna try really hard. I'm gonna talk to my spouse. We're gonna schedule a time, okay? And we're gonna do it every morning. You're gonna wake up and you're, you're gonna have your alarm set for seven, six thirty, six, five thirty, whatever. And then you're gonna snooze on it. I guarantee it. Like maybe a weekend you're gonna crush it. Like prayer life is amazing. And then one weekend you're snoozing on that sucker. And then it's work time, okay? If if the goal is I just want to pray more, that's gonna fade. If the goal is you leave this place and you guys sit down and you have honest conversations about what you truly believe about the God of the universe, about Jesus Christ, the true king of this world, about the Holy Spirit who lives inside every believer in this world, if you truly go there and have that conversation and let that salt your lives and constantly say, man, he's king, he's powerful, he's the professional, he can fix all things, he fixes the hearts, the world, everything in redemption and restoration from here on into eternity. That reality moves the people to say, well, I guess I better talk to him then. Don't don't make the action the thing that you focus. Focus on Jesus, the true king of this world. Prayer will come out of that, amen? If it doesn't, then go back to what do you believe about Jesus And and, and, and focus and hone and hit and talk and study until, man, your prayer looks like you want it to look like. It's the gospel that moves us to these things. It's not just this white knuckle, we're going to be a praying church. No, we're going to love Jesus. We're going to understand who he is. And we're going to dive into our words. We're going to see who this God is. And man, then we're going to talk to him. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, you are the good king. We testify even to our own hearts. I testify to my own heart right now, which I'm sure in about 30 minutes I'll probably forget. (laughs) You are the good, good king. And you came and you did something for us we did not deserve. You've graced us, Lord, with your presence, with your love, with hope, with forgiveness. And Lord, we, we, yeah, it's grace. We didn't deserve it. So Lord, I confess just the realities that I uh, oftentimes live as if I don't really believe that. And pray, Lord, that your, your spirit, Holy Spirit, that you just change us, and convict us, counsel us, shape us, make us more like Christ. For the sake of your glory, for our hearts, and for the sake of our city and our world, God, please continue to move. Thank you that you are good. And you're faithful. Bless us now as we reflect in Jesus' name. Amen.